My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have never seen a Michael Mann movie. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason other than criticism, which, as always, we will never accept under any circumstances, go ahead and check the episode notes for our contact info. Uh, What is Michael Mann directed? I don't recognize that name. So Michael Mann is a guy... The only man I recognize is Leslie. (laughs) That's fair. He directed Heat, Last Mohicans, Ali, the, like, first... Hannibal Lecter movie that's pre-Silence of the Lambs. There was a pre-Silence of the Lambs? Yeah, starring Brian Cox, who is, like, kind Mm. of famous now. I mean, like, Brian Cox has always been a guy who's been around. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it's sort of weird to watch, because I'd never seen this movie before. It's called Manhunter. Oh, like my uh, acting debut. Exactly. (laughs) Or, like, that David Fincher show. That's, that's like, Mindhunter. Oh, it's Mindhunter. Oh, okay. I thought it was Mindhunter because they're both kind of about the same thing. Because, like, because of course, all those Thomas Harris novels, like the Hannibal Lecter stuff, that's all based on the thing that Mindhunter is based on. Like, chasing it, serial killers. Yeah, but like, literally, like, this one guy wrote a book about, like, mm-hmm. starting up the behavioral science, like, unit in the FBI. And then, like, literally 500 movies and things have been made based on that got it so i was i thought it was like a weird sort of referency thing or like maybe the, the book was called manhunter or something Mm-mm. um i guess yeah it's Mindhunter. but yeah no and like brian cox plays hannibal lecter okay i can see that he's very good i think if i had seen like if i had seen this movie like three years ago i would be comparing his performance to anthony hopkins mm-hmm. but now i'm just comparing it to like him playing logan roy on like succession and like now brian cox i'm just hearing like podcast ads for like mcdonald's like i've been listening to blank check and there's like commercials for like mcdonald's with brian cox narrating brian cox does the but ba he like and he really throws it away why i don't know but it's him and he does like he kind of he does it like he's like mcdonald's and he's like Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. it's threatening because it's like logan roy saying it <laughs> or hannibal lecter saying or it. hannibal lecter he's a good hannibal lecter mads mickelson is actually probably the best hannibal lecter oh because, for sure because hannibal is the best adaptation of like that series mm-hmm. and that character but it is sort of interesting how like uh now anthony hopkins is kind of weirdly just another one that's like not even the the main one now it's kind of interesting that is interesting um, so what what are your takeaways from michael mann movies um i like them i it's interesting how i've never seen heat heat is like one of those like guy movies mm-hmm. you know and i i think i like texted a friend before i watched heat last night i was like i am now secure enough in my lack of masculinity to be able to watch heat because <laughs> now it's like ironic rather than like right it's like I'm so much more comfortable with like masculinity and like men now that it's like oh I don't have to be like a dude it's like night like it's like weirdly sort of comforting like I can feel like the heterosexual side of me being like oh look at these men being men it's like <laughs> yeah, it's it, kind of sexy it's like it no longer feels like you have right. to like live up to something you can just observe it as right. an outsider Exactly. Rather than um, comparing yourself, it feels less personal. Exactly. Also, Heat, which is famously the movie in which, like, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino are, like, on opposite sides of, like, one's a 
one's a criminal and one's a cop and like that's the whole thing and mm-hmm. they have this famous scene in the middle of the movie where they go get coffee together and talk about stuff john Mulaney references it <laughs> in his stand-up it's a really famous scene and the whole time i'm watching this very famous scene for the first time i'm just like let them kiss <laughs> like <laughs> the thing is like spoilers for the movie heat like one eventually kills the other and then they hold hands like like they hold hands as he dies like it's very gay it's a very homoerotic movie the main takeaway that i'm getting is i love the way that michael mann frames things okay he like shoots widescreen really well he's just like i'm so frustrated nowadays with the how close like cameras get to actors now like no one's like it's so hard to get like a full body shot of like human beings like no one's ever like shooting people in a space Mm -hmm. where they're like taking in the space and situating them in the frame it's always just like here's a person you know and it's really annoying like movies used to just have people like farther shot farther back and like standing and you see their whole body and stuff because like everything was shot strictly for theaters i was just gonna say do you think that it's because of the theatrical release versus exactly nowadays like like everyone assumes that a movie will be watched on a laptop at some point like people are starting to frame for laptops just as much as they frame like big widescreen theaters Mm -hmm. and it makes movies look smaller interesting and like watching these big michael mann movies and like last of the mohicans and like all this stuff it's like oh no movies looked big but yeah it was also fun to watch heat right after watching this episode of burn notice why is that just because like they're very you know crimey spy things it's very like just big loud masculinity it just felt like it was a a worthy pivot it just felt like continuing a theme well, uh, let's let's stay on this theme then, because we are here specifically today to talk about Season 7, Episode 11, Tipping Point, which aired August 22nd, 2013, was written by our very good boys, Rashad Razani and Michael Horowitz, and directed by guy we know but only hang out with in group setting, Scott Peters. It's <laughs> a good show. Thank you. The IMDb description of this episode reads, A conflicted Michael goes to Mexico on a mission with Sonya, not knowing what ruthless mercenary Strong has hired to capture James. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, I wonder who it could be. Could I say, mm-hmm. like, before we get in the weeds, mm-hmm. I could have swore that we went on IMDb and he was not any more episodes. What's his name? Simon. Yeah, Simon. The actor's name? Garrett something? Dillahunt. Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt. I could have swore that, like, he was not credited. But I guess he was. Cause yeah, he had to have been. He had to have been because here he is in this episode. <laughs> Spoiler Garrett alert Dillahunt's this episode. back. <laughs> So yeah, let's, Simon Escher. Yeah, let's hop into the weeds. Because until his name came up in the credits, I didn't realize that's who it was going to be. And then uh-huh. I saw it at like a very opportune moment. And I was like, oh. No, I did not see his name in the credits. I was legitimately shocked. When oh, happened. wow. Okay. Yeah. They did a good job of like hiding that from us. I yeah. have opinions about the way in which everything went down. But overall, I think it was his best performance yet. No, I... This is the first time I believe in, like, the Simon Escher of it all. You know what I mean? I It kind of reminds me of John Sim on Doctor Who. That's the master? The master. Mm-hmm. Like, he always played really broad because I think Russell T. Davies and, like, the directors told him to go bigger. Mm-hmm. They always told him to go bigger. He didn't really like going as big as he went. But, like, they were like, no, the master is a big character. You have to go as big as possible. Like, go nuts. And, like... It's not a terrible performance, but I've also never loved that performance. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back, like, years later in a Peter Capaldi episode, and he's not being told to go big. 
And, like, he's given a little more control of what he gets to do with the character. And it's so much better. Like, he's, like, he by far his best episode episodes are the ones that he does with Peter Capaldi. Just because, like, he isn't told that he has to do this really huge, broad thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening here. Garrett Dillahunt, like, he kind of gets to just come back and not have to be this, like, weird crazy character but just be a guy and it really he also feels more specific like he feels so much more specific like he he honestly what he reminded me of is siler from heroes a little bit more okay he has a little bit of that like sort of charming sociopath energy that i don't think anyone else has successfully written in this show yet Right. Which these two writers are the only ones I would have trusted with that. And I'm grateful this is the episode. So yeah, let's hop into the weeds and we can actually get to that. Because obviously quite a bit of this episode centers around Simon Escher's return. Right. So we start with Michael and Sonia who have an awkward hello outside the loft while voiceover Michael bemoans how awkward it is to build trust with someone only to betray them. So we know that he's feeling mm, not great about everything. And he and Sonia seem to be in like that kind of like DTR (laughs) section there (laughs) they're knowing each other she's come over to do a sexy montage of fake passport making because they're going abroad as a married couple mm-hmm. uh, as elliot and trisha bronson i wrote that down because i wasn't sure if they'd actually like get to do their alias stuff and uh-huh. I, I wanted to make sure i didn't have to update the wikipedia uh-huh. i don't because we never see that we like, never see that they wear wedding rings the entire episode which i thought was a nice choice uh-huh. but we don't actually see them being yeah we don't see them they don't do a lot you know they it seems like they great, were travel aliases. They don't have great chemistry. They have terrible chemistry because she's as young enough to be his fucking daughter. It's very, very true. Like, he'd be a teen dad, but still. Exactly. Like, he was solidly, like, 15, 16 years older than her. It's fucking weird. It's so weird. But the thing about it, you know what chemistry that they have? You know, like, when two people are married in real life mm-hmm. and they do a movie together and it's like, oh... It doesn't actually work when you're married in real life. That's what they have. They have the chemistry of like a married couple who is doing a movie together. That Yeah, I don't know. I It feels honestly more like she is like a mentee. Like, you know, she, yeah. she's going to be, they're, they're setting up a spinoff with Sonia as the spy. Right. <laughs> and Michael is her mentor. Like, that's what it feels like. That's what it should be. Cause, especially because she's so, like, small and he's so yeah, big and he exactly. looks his age and she looks her age. Right. It's weird It's casting. really weird. She's I mean, killing it. I think she does a really good job in Burn Notice. Like, it's not weird casting for Burn Notice. She's exactly the sort of person that you would cast on Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. It's just weird casting to cast her as, like, a romantic foil for, like, a man who's 16, 17 years older than her. Yeah. Especially when, throughout the rest of the show, he has exclusively been dating like age appropriate women exactly it just it feels awkward and like if they were making some kind of like midlife crisis statement maybe i'd get it but that's not what they're doing right it almost yeah like it's not even subtext it's just Mm -mm. you know i think it's literally just like i think they wrote this part and they were like we'll get someone for it Mm -hmm. and then like alana tall was available and like She's so good at this kind of thing. And probably was good with, like, the stunt work and that Exactly. Like, yeah. Like, she was just someone, like... But it just became this thing of, like, well, we should get her. She's great at this. And we have this part. It doesn't quite work, but, you know... Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be that much of a thing or whatever. I think that that makes the most sense to me. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's still weird. Um, it's still weird though. Jeffrey Donovan's doing his best to flirt with her because he has yeah. to kind of like flirt interrogate her into trying to give him information right. about where they're going. And eventually, she sort of cracks, and uh, all she tells him is that they're going to Latin America, somewhere in Latin America, and they're accompanying James on an important meeting. So he knows roughly the hemisphere they're going to, and he knows they're meeting with James. So like that's something. Right. Then uh, we also learn from Sonia that like during this sort of like flirt interrogation they're just like talking about traveling and she makes a comment about how her her alias has gone to Rio three times and she's never gotten to go there and and Michael's like you want to go to Rio and she's like yeah maybe I'd want to go somewhere that like I choose and he's like well there's jobs in Rio maybe we could go together and it's like this little kind of bittersweet moment for her where like once again we're reminded that she does kind of miss having a life right or not miss but wish she could miss you know of course she's like oh always done this she wants you know she's a black widow essentially <laughs> like, no, yeah exactly no like she just wants she wants what every disney princess wants mm-hmm. a normal life exactly out in the world mm-hmm. self-determination and uh with a handsome prince <laughs> named michael weston yeah exactly and then michael weston seduces her into a sex stupor and steals some data from her phone <laughs> then uh, the next morning after she leaves he said he tells strong that he has the data from the phone and he'll go drop it off or whatever and strong is like super cheerful about this and even calls him a lady killer so it's like everyone knows michael's shipping the enemy yeah this is just a thing and strong couldn't be happier about it michael strong's jerking off to it <laughs> yeah michael is not michael feels very sad and uh well he's sad jerking <laughs> He's sad jerking. <laughs> Michael Weston has never enjoyed a masturbation, like, ever. <laughs> and it's like, he does it, but it's only to release. Like, he's never happy about it. Like, <laughs> It's all physical, not emotional. It's exactly. It's, very, it's a very determined jerk. <laughs> determined jerk. Horrifying. And Strong indicates, like, we're about ready to end this. Like, if, if we can get the information that we need off of the, the files that you stole, like, we're going to capture James, like, this week. End of cold open. After the cold open, the boys and Strong meet up at the CIA. For whatever reason, Fee is not there. And Sonia's data was apparently a gold mine. So they don't know where James is currently from the data in the in the phone, but they know where he's gonna be. They will be in Veracruz, Mexico. And as Strong shows them a map of how they're going to like ambush James on their way to whatever mysterious meeting they're about to have, Garrett Dillahunt's name uh, flashes on screen as one of the guest stars. And I was like, Okay, so that's that. This is the moment where I noticed that, and I'm like, all right, this is this is gonna go bad for everyone. Yeah, I also did. I will say, since it's been so long since we've seen him, I did forget who Simon Escher was like in canon. I obviously know who he is, and like remember us making jokes about Simon Escher, but like yeah. I forgot his story function, right? Which is important to like the text of this episode. Exactly. I eventually remember it, but that is, I think, a, a little bit of a failing of this show, which is that like when they do bring continuity back, they aren't always great about like actually filling in the details we need to remind us why this is emotionally resonant. Right. It's like, like, I recognize that guy, but like what? So it is a show that is kind of made not weirdly not thinking about the audience that much. Mm -mm. And I, I think they think we're dumber than we are because there are a couple of things in this episode that I, that work if they had done like a tiny bit more work. Yeah. But the problem is that like 
one of the my major problems with this whole season so far has been that they've set us up with like why we're doing different things and how everyone feels about that and then when that's not convenient we do a different thing right <laughs> like the 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 emotional narrative which like ideally a shortened season like this would be able to right. remain consistent is not consistent at all and we'll get to the moments where i'm most frustrated by oh, this oh yeah they have to do with fee probably. oh no this was a frustrating episode which is too bad because it's well written and yeah, there's some is. nice little details. Like there is. you can tell our boys wrote it. Yeah. They're they're in full form. It's no, their like, final yeah. episode of all time. Exactly. And like and it's such a table setting episode and mm-hmm. it has to be. Right. But they do a good job with it, but it is very frustrating. And I don't know if I don't think I would blame them for that because no. it seems like this is what the they were given a brief. Yeah. That they tried their best to, you know, to meet. Exactly. But uh, all right, I'll stop. I'll I'll stop this being in the abstract. So Michael thinks the plan is too soon, uh, which is our first sort of hint of like he is feeling hesitant about everything. But uh, Strong's like, no, we gotta go. And Sam's like, don't worry, Michael, we'll be there to watch your back if things get sticky. Like, let's finish this. Uh, we cut to Fee sadly packing up Carlos's belongings, smelling his shirt. You know, classic breakup stuff. Yeah, I forgot Carlos existed. Yeah. I watched the recap since it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded an episode. But yeah, so she's smelling Carlos's shirt when Michael knocks on the door and uh, apologizes that Carlos has left and is like, hey, I'm going out of town for a job and I need your help. And she's like, not happy. And she cuts him off and is like, do you even know or care how much this job you're working on has cost me? And he's like... I'm sorry. But also, it conveniently leaves out the fact that, like, she only has things to lose because he took this job. Like, this is the thing, is that this was such a major point of, like, the first third of the season, that, like, Michael was hiding the fact that he went back to the CIA not because he wanted to, but because it was keeping his friends out of jail. And while we mention it a lot, we forget to use that when other characters are reacting emotionally to him. Like she's acting like she's accusing him of taking this job and ruining her life. But like, she only has a life to ruin because he took the job. How is that not at least a part of the conversation? Yeah, no, it is really weird. It's super weird. And it's like the linchpin of her emotional journey in this episode. But it does it's the opposite of what the actual situation is. It's like they keep forgetting from scene to scene what everyone remembers about how this season started. Right. It's it like, is- do you think we'll not notice that? <laughs> but this doesn't make any sense. Her reaction doesn't make sense. She can be pissed at him for other valid reasons, but not that reason. Exactly. Like, yeah, there's... It just because, like, they, they're so comfortable playing this note mm-hmm. and doing this scene because they've been doing some variation on this scene for, like, years. Yeah. And so, like, it's just what they know how to do. It's what they default to. And they're like, and anytime we do one of these scenes, they're like, you guys know we're doing one of these scenes, right? We're doing it. It's fine. It's just one of these scenes. We have to do them. And it's like, no, you don't. And also, like, it's different every time. Context is different. You can't just, like play these beats like these are the familiar beats that we know mm-hmm. when like the situation is very different and she has tons of valid reasons to be upset even understanding that like his doing this job is a favor yeah. like they could have used this to seed more of like you know i think you like this too much like if you weren't so personally invested carlos would have never blah 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 right, you know exactly. if you would just left us out of it blah, blah 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 you know if you what like there's so many things that she can throw in his face that are like valid criticisms that could foreshadow things right. later that could 
harken back to the beats that we've done before, but like they don't do that. No, they don't. It's just the same thing that they've always done. Yeah, they just act like Fee forgot <laughs> why he's doing this job, even though we're going to call back to it in like two scenes for another character. It's right. so stupid. It's so unnecessary. But in any case, he's like, it's almost over. We've only got three episodes left. So like, we will take them down soon, Fee, I promise. Uh, and he's like, I just need to know that someone's looking after Maddie and Charlie because like once I betray James, they might be in danger. Because as we know from what last episode, the episode before, Maddie's being watched pretty closely by James's goons, allegedly to protect her. But you know, you know, yeah, we all know what's going on. So we head to Veracruz, where Michael and Sonia are dressed like cater waiters without the jacket. Did you notice that that they're like they they both have like crisp white collared shirts and like black slacks. I didn't notice it. Like, it was such a weird choice because they're matching and they look like cater waiters, but this or never, yeah, or Mormons without the tie, but they never, it never comes up, and like we never really learn why they're in Veracruz. But we, we never do, which I'm like, it's so interesting because they like up until the moment that like things happen, mm-hmm. like. He's, like, dropping all these hints. It's, mm-hmm. like... Like, the, our, our, our little organization is going to, like, move into the future. Our, our organization's about to grow quite a bit. At this point, because you had seen Garrett Dillahunt's name, mm-hmm. did you think they were meeting Garrett Dillahunt? No, I thought that... He, I, I don't know if I thought anything more than, like, Michael will run into him. But then I remember... But I had also read the IMDb description, so I was like, I wonder if he's one of the mercenaries. Got it, yeah. No, because I, I remember, like, I was trying to figure out who the fuck is he meeting? Mm-hmm. I thought that the person that he was meeting was going to be somebody. Right. And like, if they were going somewhere where like these two's cover was that they were like cater waiters, that would make sense. But it just feels like they're in like weird uniform waiting exactly. for James at a, at an airstrip. It's very strange. And then I don't think we ever actually go to the meeting. We no, go to we a never... safe, like midway through, like we learn that there is a safe house somewhere. Michael doesn't know the location of the safe right. house, but that's where they were going to head to regroup. Which right. presumably is different from wherever they were meeting. No, because they were because the safe house is where they're going to go because the meeting didn't happen. Right. Yeah. So they're like, separate places. So we no. still don't know what the meeting. No, is. No, we will never. Which affects things next episode, but we'll talk about next week. Next. I uh, will talk about next week. Next week. <laughs> Bree right now is wearing her. We'll talk about next week. Next week shirt. I, I am. have mine. I am not wearing it, but I will wear it later. I've forced her. Regardless of what's going on, they all, they have like two armored cars and a caravan and Michael and James and Sonia are sitting next to each other and James is monologuing about how like, this is going to be a really important meeting for us. And Michael's trying to like get answers out of him, but he won't give them. But then obviously James, the mastermind of a massive criminal organization is starting to get a little suspicious. He's got like, you know, terrorist spidey sense. And he's like, we haven't passed a merchant in a while. Like these streets are awfully empty. Huh. And Michael's like sitting there like anxious because obviously Strong has his 15,000 snipers and mercenaries or whatever to like capture them when, you know, because they're on, a, they're driving to a meeting and so they're going to cut them off. And... It's a real guys on roofs scene. Exactly. Uh, and eventually the car in front of them gets exploded and Sonia and Michael and James have to get out and like try to shoot their way to safety. Unfortunately for them, they're being like flanked by oncoming SUVs in either direction. James instantly is like, like, all right, well, as we're regrouping, like, go check if there are any survivors from, you know, any of the cars that have already been shot up. Like, we're not leaving anyone behind. And, you know, this is a big theme for him in this yeah. whole organization, which I do think has been done well. No, Like, as early as Burke, at first it was subtle. And it was like, maybe Burke's just weird. And then it becomes like, oh, no, this is everyone. No, like, these people are ride or die for each other. This is, like, part of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I buy it. And I think that that's a, a lovely 
thing. I I, I wish a more, <laughs> I wish a stronger showrunner was working on it because it's like a good idea. The execution isn't perfect, but I think they could have done interesting things with like loyalty and yeah. like purity of mission. And they're like trying to do that here. Because the thing is that like, they have to be like, this has to be like loyal enough and like righteous enough that Michael could turn. Right. And like Michael is like they say, like they do kind of set up like, oh, you are a never leave a man behind guy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're working for the CIA for your friends. Like that's ultimately what spoiler alert gets James to trust him after Michael comes clean later in this episode is that like, you know, it's for his, he's doing this for his friends. Exactly. Not for his country. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So yeah, so they're, they're shooting their way out. James blows up one of the mercenary oncoming trucks with a grenade launcher and they get just enough cover to slip away. Like Michael's been kind of like, oh, fuck, I have to pretend like I'm also getting captured and the mercenaries aren't good enough to actually like swoop, swoop in. Strong has been telling them like, treat Michael like an enemy combatant until they're all captured and kind of stuff. So he sort of just has to play along with like, oh, I guess we're getting away. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. But then they go and steal some cars. Sonia and James get into a like white truck. Michael steals a car from a woman who's on the phone and he like takes the phone too and shoves it under the car, like under the car seat that he's driving. Cause he's like, presumably when she reports this, they'll track me. Right. Great little burn notice tip there. And they all escape. Strong is, of course, pissed and not liking how smug Sam is about the terrorist clearly being better than he thinks. Strong has been working on this case for a decade, and I understand why. Right. He's a big fucking dumbass. He's not very good at his job. He's truly so bad at his job. And, like, that's the other thing is that, like, it's one thing for bureaucratic incompetence to be a major thread in, you know, the final season of a show about the federal government. But, like, they're not he's just a cartoon character. No, like, like, there's have, nothing about this man that makes any sense in the world I, of Burn Notice. This, yeah, like, if this had been, like, the first season of Burn Notice, mm -hmm. it'd be like, okay, this is their take on CIA people. Mm -hmm. But, like, we've seen so many CIA people who are more competent than this guy. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like this is just their take on the CIA. Like... We had Lawrence Demille, like, mm -hmm. you know, people. We had been... Agent Riley. Exactly. Competent people exist. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that, like, part of the reason that he's been working on this for 10 years is because it's a nice silo for him so that he doesn't get put on other more important missions? <laughs> yeah, but we know how much money he's spending on this mission. Like, it's 10 years in, the fact that he's able to scare up this amount of a budget doesn't make any fucking sense. Maybe that's the thing that he's good at. Mm. Like, you, some people are like that. There's some people who are, like, not good at their jobs, but are really good at raising money. Yeah, that's true. He's, like, like a startup CEO who's great at, with investors, but terrible at management. Exactly. Like, I think that might be his thing. Interesting. Yeah, I just feel like he's not well-developed. And for being our, like, final season CIA handler guy, that's sort of disappointing. Yeah. Because I think they could be saying something more interesting and coherent about, like, Michael's sort of split from the CIA. 
but they're not. He's just like a big idiot <laughs> who's just in the way so that they can he can make it like bad decisions and Michael can have to like clean up after him. Right. It's not satisfying, unfortunately. But anyways, they they do learn about the stolen phone in this scene, so they start tracking it and the boys, Sam and Jesse, follow strong into a chopper that they're gonna use to try and track down the the the, the whatever. Fee calls from outside Maddie's holding like a sniper uh-huh. gun from a car across the street. And calls Jesse and she's like, hey, what the fuck is going on? Because the the dudes that I've been paying attention to have just been chilling in their car. But all of a sudden, they've been pacing and wandering around. And now they're, like, going up to Madeline's house. Like, what did you guys do? Do I have to shoot them? And there's, like, a little bit of a back and forth. where Should we shoot them? Exactly. Where there's, like, a back and forth between Jesse and Fee where they're trying to figure out, like, well, they don't really know what happened down there. They know that Michael is gone and like is is in the caravan with James but they don't really know yet like where he is they don't know if his cover is blown and they also don't know the the purpose of the guys like going up to Madeline's house and so there's this tense standoff where they have to decide like if Michael's cover is blown then Madeline's dead they're gonna definitely kill her if it's not blown yet fee killing James goons will blow his cover exactly so they're kind of in like a damned if you do damned if you don't situation which is a really cool setup it is a good setup. I like it. And I, I also like the exchange, the like silent exchange between Maddie and Fee. Um, Cause like Sam basically tells her like, let's bet on Michael. Let's, let's believe in him uh-huh. that he's managed to maintain his cover. And then we kind of go to Madeline's side of the scene where she's trying to tell these guys to like leave. She's like, I talked to your boss. He said, you'd keep your distance. And they're like, no, we insist we have to come in. Like, you know, situation's changed or whatever. And Madeline makes eye contact with Fee across the street. Like having seen her from her perch, presumably she knew she was there. Right. She knew exactly where to look. And they have this sort of, like, silent exchange where Madeline implicitly trusts Fee. She's like, I know Fee has them in her sights. She could kill them right now. The fact that she's not shooting is enough for me to trust her. And so she lets them inside. And then, like, before she closes the door, Madeline kind of, like, waves her off. So it's this nice moment of, like, nonverbal between these two women where they're both like, I don't know what the right decision is, but I trust you and I trust you. Right. We'll figure this out. And so, like, we move on to the next phase. And there's a lot of good stuff between Madeline and Fee in this episode, despite Fee's, like, emotional reaction to Michael being, it doesn't make any sense. Right. The actual Maddie and Fee stuff is really good. Makes a lot of sense. I like it a lot. They're competent women who implicitly trust each other, and I love that for them. Everything is okay for now, so we'll check back in with them later. Up in the chopper, using the least stealthy surveillance I've ever seen, which, to their credit, they mention in the voiceover later. Strong and the boys keep an eye out for Michael using their description of the car. It's a particular brand and a vague signal from the phone. So they know, like, the general area, and they just need to find a car meeting that description. Jesse thinks he spots him, but Strong's like, oh, no, it's the wrong brand of car. And Jesse's like, we're a thousand feet up. How do you know that? And Strong's like, oh, I'm a car guy. And it's, it's meaningless, but it's a nice little, like, Exchange. It's like the oh, it's kind of like oh, that's that's your deal exactly, and yeah. that actually honestly clarifies strong more than any other characterization has. Right, it it's does such a small detail, and like it, it was a necessary beat just because like they can't just instantly spot the car from the air. But how do you take a like perfunctory we need to fail once before we find the car moment yeah. to like reveal something about character? And they do, and it's simple, and it's you know the the performers do a good job with it, and it's yeah. like this is the shit that every exactly. episode should be like. Incidentally, Ugh. this whole sequence was fun to watch and then watch Heat immediately after. Because, no, Heat also is a thing where it's like there's a big job that goes really wrong and then a criminal is chased 
like by a helicopter and like they're being watched like the whole time i was watching the helicopter chase a car in heat i could hear michael's voiceover (laughs) in my head i was just like oh i didn't realize that would be relevant so soon What a, what a practical spy tip. Uh, it was. It helped me practically watch the movie Heat. So yeah, I'm I'm proud of our good, good boys for writing this episode so good. Eventually, they do spot the caravan. They figure uh-huh. out what car James must be in. But James, of course, <laughs> looks up and is like, there's a helicopter following us. Wonder who that could be. Uh, and he gets him and Michael to like uh, pause under an underpass where they have a brief kind of exchange. And James is like, we got to split up. They can't follow both of us. Like, how about you guys double back? So Michael is in a car with like, I think, three goons. Yeah. He's in a car with just three random James goons. And he's like, you guys there's one there's one goon that the camera like lingers on a little bit more Mm -hmm. who sits in the front seat yeah where it's like okay this is the person who has dialogue (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly so uh james tells michael to double back with the goons um because he saw marina not far and he's like go grab a boat sonia and i will head forward we'll get a boat and then we'll like meet off the coast here's a walkie-talkie like we'll meet up later and michael's like we should not split up and james is like no we gotta this is the only way and so Michael's like, fine, and doubles back. And because they do have Michael's signal, Strong decides to keep the chopper on James and Sonia. So because, you know, obviously that's the car that they won't have another way to track. And it's, Yeah, and they don't know that it's James and Sonia. Yeah, they, they don't. Just they, like... they just know that there are two cars that are clearly together. Yeah. So he sends Alpha Team. This will come back. He sends Alpha Team to follow Michael's signal. And he is going to he and the boys are going to stay on the white truck. Then at the marina, Michael and his three pals are kind of looking around, but the pickings are fairly slim. Apparently it's not a very good marina. There is a boathouse with a boat with faulty wiring that one of the guys is trying to like get working again. So Michael goes to like check on that. And then of course they're swarmed by commandos because Michael knows that they're tracking him. And as like all of the people are killing each other and most of the other goons are dead. Michael knocks out the guy who we got a close up of in the car uh-huh. earlier. The guy who's definitely going to have dialogue eventually, the goon. So that, you know, he doesn't kill him because that's Michael's thing. He only kills people who look like Dr. Cox exactly. or the agent to the stars from right. three seasons ago or whatever. So Michael, importantly, knocks out but does not kill the guy who's like hiding in cover with him. And once it's like quiet, he's like, hey, I'm a friendly, like, don't shoot. And a very Dillahunty voice calls out like, like, oh, hey, hey, Michael, we're all clear. And Michael seems to like recognize it, but not connect it yet. Because first he like watches a person with his back to him shoot one of the goons who's on the ground, like to ensure yeah. he's dead. And Michael's like, hey, he's already dead. And then Garrett Dillahunt turns around and Michael's like, <gasps> you. Also, I want to say it now. Uh, I made a gif of it because it's so good. This entire sequence, because they're inside a boathouse, there's the reflection of light from the water in uh-huh. every part of the scene. And it looks so fucking cool. It's got such cool like effects, especially when we go in for close-ups. It's like the light is dancing on them. It makes it like that. surreal and like beautiful. And, like it's an unnecessary part. They didn't have to shoot a lot of this inside there, but they did. And it looks so good. Very Michael Mann. Yeah. It's- I mean, like... Uh, Matt Nix loves heat. Like, I'm telling you right now, Matt Nix loves Michael Mann movies. Like, 100%. Like, fucking, like, De Niro, 
oh yeah no it's very pretty i'm looking at the gif now it's like yeah like and this is from later in the scene like when he and simon basically him and simon are like across each other from the water like they're the water of the boathouse is in between them and they're on like either side of the boathouse and there's a lot of like dramatic close-ups of the two of them talking and like the water dances across their faces they do and it fucking it looks cool it It looks cool as hell great staging point and since so much of this episode is in this scene excellent yeah great Good job, friend of a friend, Scott Peters. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, like, in in Heat, Robert De Niro is playing Michael Weston, essentially. All right. But as a criminal. You would you might like Heat, because it's about competence. Mm, I do love competence. You love competence so much. It is my kink. Uh, yeah. So, Michael is, of course, a guest at Simon's present, and Simon's like, everybody, you need to relax. It's fine. I'm here. So he uh, he he tells Michael that the CIA took him out of the box almost as soon as Michael threw him in, and he's been working for them for like two years. Michael is, of course, very upset about this because, and this is when I start to remember, oh yeah, Simon isn't just like a weirdo dude who used to work for like the organization that burned Michael. Simon's like file, all the terrible shit he did, is what was eventually the basis yeah. for Michael Weston's burn notice. Michael was burned because of Simon's actual horrifying actions. Exactly. And I forgot about that. And I wish they'd reminded us, because they don't really. Yeah, no, they they don't do that. And they treat Simon's presence as such a betrayal. They really It feels do. like maybe one or two lines of dialogue, even just from Simon and Jesse. Like, Michael doesn't have to say anything because it's maybe uh, redundant for him. But, like, why couldn't my- Jesse or Sam, who know this story, have mentioned it either to each other or Strong? Just to cue us in until, like, why he's so upset. Like, we know Simon's a bad guy, but we also know that both Michael and the CIA have worked with plenty of bad guys before. Exactly. It's kind of... The thing is... I think the biggest problem with this season overall mm-hmm. is a problem with a lot of burnout of stuff, wherein, like, we spend so much time kind of spinning wheels, like, because they don't have much story beyond Michael, like, becomes a traitor. Mm-hmm. Like, the thing is that, like, they, that's the thing that they want to do this season, but they don't have ideas for stories beyond the turn. Mm-hmm. So they have to, like, drag out the turn. But, like, he also can't be bad, like, before this and the next episode or whatever, you know. So, like, they have to come up with a thing that is, like, the switch. Mm-hmm. And it has to be, like, something. So it's just kind of, like, Garrett Dillon, Garrett Dillahunt just has to be the thing. And it doesn't quite work. I think it does technically but they don't actually execute it properly. No, because, like, ex- the whole story of Burn Notice, the whole series of Burn Notice is about Michael Weston's betrayal at being burned for terrible crimes he didn't commit. And up until this point, he has worked his fucking ass off to get back into the good graces of the organization that he gave up everything for. Right. And now the man who is solely responsible for the heinous shit that got Michael Weston, the best spy of all time, cut from the CIA, is worth working for the CIA and seems to have better clearance than Michael Weston does. Exactly. The ultimate betrayal. Unfortunately, they don't actually play that and no, they, they don't, don't remind us that. And it's been so many seasons, two years, presumably in scripts yeah. since we've seen Simon that like, that doesn't play the right way. No, it's because they don't play it like that. They Mm-mm. play it like, oh my gosh, they're working with a monster. Exactly. Like that's, which is like. He is a monster, but he, that's not why we're mad at him. Exactly. Like, <laughs> no, like I didn't really even think, like I thought about the fact that, oh, that's right. 
he did all the things that Michael was burned for. But I didn't even, like, think about it like that, like, the way you're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like, that plays. Mm -hmm. They don't execute it like that at all. No, they don't. In the same way that, like, Fee's anchor plays, but the details behind why she's angry don't make sense. And it's like, they just, they get so caught up in their, like, boys having a good time show that they forget that they have put down as, like, a lot of roots. There is stuff for Burn Notice to pull from. That's always the from most, its own canon. <laughs> that's always the most frustrating thing. It's they're so close. Is that like, Mr. Snowman? You had all the clues. <laughs> exactly. But they, you know, they get bored halfway through the puzzle and just start shoving things in there. And it's like, no, these pieces fit. I promise you, they fit. And I know you know theoretically they fit, but this is a corner piece, and you've put it in the middle. Exactly. <laughs> and it's really like kind of. That kind of filmmaking where, like I said earlier, like, they don't quite understand the audience where it's like, they know that they know that, Mm -hmm. like, and they don't feel like they have to explain it. No. Because they're like, well, that's the thing. I think if you ask them about it, they might say, well, yeah, it's because of all this. And it's like, oh, yeah, none of that was on the screen. And it also wasn't in the recap because I watched the recap. Right. But they were trying to hold off the, like, surprise guest star that they didn't actually give us that extra context. So it's like, at no point... this has been over two calendar years for most people watching Burnouts when it was coming out. You and I barely remembered it. And we've been watching this show consistently for three years and making a podcast about it exactly. where we discuss canon extensively. And even we were kind of like, oh, yeah, wasn't he someone important? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, we were so wrapped up in, like, Simon Escher, the, like, ridiculous construction Mm -hmm. and performance yeah that's like not the character and backstory but i do really like his performance here like regardless of the details fully executing Uh properly he was doing good right he's a little loose he's he's like he's very cavalier about everything but that's it it's not like when he showed up the first time where he's like i'm crazy Mm -hmm. i'm the joker Yeah, he's very calm. He's just like, yeah. hi, I work for the CAA. We are co-workers. Let's get James back here. Right. Oh, yeah. So so at, during this interaction, Michael is holding Simon at gunpoint because he's like, you're a monster. I'm going to kill you. And Garrett Dillahunt's like, you know I'm Alpha Team, right? Like, I'm the only one left. We have to get James. Like, I don't understand why you're being this way. <laughs> and Michael's like pissed. And then Strong calls Simon on his walkie and is like, hey, Simon, what's going on? And <laughs> he doesn't even pause. He's just like, hey, Strong, what's up? Um, I might die in a second. So like, can I get back to you? Yeah. I, I don't know what our next phase is. Michael might kill me. And Strong's like, right. what the fuck? And Michael's like, what the fuck? And to his credit, Jeffrey Donovan's also doing a really good job yes. of like playing the, you know, horrifying grappling with this guy where he's like really trying to make it make sense in his own head like he looks like that that one gif of like all the the woman looking at all the like math yeah Yeah. that's exactly what it was (laughs) just like does not compute exactly and he's like really trying to keep his cool i will also say i did once he showed up for a while think that this was the meeting Oh, yeah. That Garrett Dillahunt was the meeting. Mm-hmm. But and no, he's no. he's one of the mercenaries. He, he is definitely one of the mercenaries. He is actually. Alpha Team. He is actually Alpha Team. And so, like, they have this he exchange. He is an Alpha Chad. <laughs> they have this exchange. It's very tense. And eventually Michael lowers the gun because he realizes, like... No, um, Simon Escher is a Sigma male. <laughs> Good Lord. 
<laughs> and Simon's like, all right, strong, we're all good. And Simon's basically like, so we need to figure out where James is because they, James and Sonia had managed to lure the helicopter into a weird position where they could like hide, get their guns out and shoot at it. So the helicopter's gone down, although everyone's okay, but they've lost James and Sonia. And he's like, hey, we're Bravo team. Uh, we don't know where they are, but we presumably they're about to either get in a boat or drive off. So like, what do you guys have? And G Dillahun's like, well, I've got Michael and one of their guys. Like, what if we, you, I've read this dude's file. He loves people. He's like such a loyal little simp. Let's draw him back. Like, hey, Michael, tell James you need help. He'll definitely come. And so Michael uh, uses his walkie and is like, hey, James, you little simp, I need help. Uh, and then to sort of like sell the the danger of Michael's situation, Simon plays a little rough with the hostage that they have, the other, the only surviving goon from James's team. And, you know, James can hear it over the, the walkie and James is like, oh shit, we'll come to get you. Like, stay where you are, hunker down. Like, we're, we're coming to you. And Michael hangs up and is like, hey, what the fuck? Like, don't play that rough. And Simon's like, mm, why not? <laughs> I'm Simon Escher. I'm Simon Escher. You remember that, right? It really seemed like you did just a minute ago when you were doing the math in your head. Exactly. And, uh, and and Simon also is basically like, you know we work for the CIA, right? They love it when I put it rough. That's why they have me here. This is my whole job, Michael Weston. And he's like, and you know, you seem to think that like James is such a good guy, but like, I'm loyal. I'm. You don't think I'm sad my boys are dead? Like Paco and the... The other one <laughs> like that that was a funny bit too that was a really funny bit i enjoyed that where, where simon's like trying to name off the mercenaries he clearly does not know and the again of. he is underplaying all of this mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah. it's it's not subtle but it's subtle no. in the context of this character right yeah and it's nice and it and it's clearly garrett dillahunt is having a really good time too in a way that I have not seen before. Right. He's usually like kind of dead-eyed reciting weird burn notice dialogue, but this time he actually seems to be having like a good time. This is an actor who's about to do a fun death scene and he is living for it. Right. So speaking of, so Simon calls Bravo team back and is like, hey, Strong, are you still alive? And Strong's like, yep, we are. And then like, we, we briefly have a scene with the helicopter boys where Strong's like, hey, before we go to Alpha team, I should probably tell you who Alpha team is. It's Simon Escher and Sam is of course, furious on Michael's behalf and on, you know, humanity's behalf. And Jesse has to kind of like pull them apart. Like guys, we do not have time for this. Like we have to go get Michael. Who knows what's gonna happen. Then and like also, Jesse was not around for Simon Asher. Yeah, I don't think he was. No, he was not. So like, not he, at all. He came back at one point. He might have done. I don't know. Like, he was in the Vaughn season, wasn't he? I don't know. I think yeah, but I don't think like he escaped or anything. I think he just did a Hannibal Lecter thing. Maybe. Um, because Jesse says Simon Asher like he knows who Simon Asher is, so I think he knows the story. Well, I'm sure they told. But him like the story. also, I don't think he's interacted with him, so I think he has a little more distance between like. Oh, yeah, I know. you. It's the big bad wolf, but come on, we got shit to do. Yeah, exactly. But, like, obviously... Whereas, like, Sam's like, no, he ate my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... I was in his stomach. <laughs> A huntsman had to cut me out. Yeah, so they, they know what boathouse Michael's in and run off to uh, intercept James and finally capture him. On their way, Jesse calls Fee and's like, hey, we're running at James again, so you need to get Maddie out of that house. Like, everything's about to go down. Like, Michael's cover's gonna be blown, so it's now or never. Fee calls Madeline. It's 
it's not now or never. It's not now or never. But they, you know, that's what they think it is. Yeah. And I do think that this whole, like, next couple of sequences works with timing. Oh, it does. Very tense. Like, I don't, I, I'm not thinking about it in other scenes. And then we get back to a scene and I'm like, oh, fuck, we're on the clock. Oh, no, something's going to happen. Like, I thought that they did a good job ramping no, up tension No, I here. thought they really did as well. It was a very good job. But so Fee calls Madeline on her home phone and is like, call me Mrs. Reynolds. And Madeline's like, hi, Mrs. Reynolds. How's it going? And so they have this whole conversation where Madeline is like, you using the story of talking to Mrs. Reynolds to kind of give Fiona the location of both of the guys in the house, because obviously he can't see in right. the house. And so she's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I made cookies earlier in my kitchen. And, oh, you know, so basically she's she's giving Fee the hints that she needs, which we've seen before and is very good, though. I love how, like, seamless it is. And Fee's like, okay, you get Charlie into the sunroom. I'm coming to get you, like, get ready, get a weapon. So Madeline, you know, plays it off very cool, grabs a kitchen knife and shoves it in her shirt very unsubtly. <laughs> like, very unsubtly. I will say, and then she immediately is like, come on, Charlie, let's go into another room immediately after getting off the phone. Yeah. It is a little, like, these guys have to be kind of dumb. They are, but like also, and, and this is played throughout the rest of the scene, they also seem to be like highly underestimating this woman. That's true. And everyone always underestimates Madeline Weston, which is what makes her amazing. That's very true. So yeah, so they move into the sunroom, but like, I really do like this scene. It's like very nice and like very cool to see how they like play off each other and that kind of stuff. The thing is, this whole episode, I was like, okay, like, James is going to find out in this episode. Mm -hmm. The question is just how. Mm -hmm. And so I, for a lot of the episode, thought it was going to be the Madeline thing. Mm. I like legitimately thought, oh, no, Fee is going to have to go get these guys. And that's how it's going to be. Interesting. Like, I thought like, I've, like, I kind of thought the Michael plot was like a bit of a red herring. Interesting. And that like, yeah. So the whole time I'm watching these scenes, I'm like, no, one of these might be it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I guess we're about to find out. So back in Veracruz, Simon and Michael prepare for their ambush of James and Sonia. And Michael can tell that Simon is like out for blood. Simon's basically like, I'm going to cripple them. I found that it's easier to capture people when they can't run away. And Michael is getting like more and more uncomfortable. Um, Michael sells his story further for James via the like comms. And, you know, Simon's helping by just shooting a gun in the air. Like, ha ha, yippee ki I'm going to kill you, Michael Weston. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they're doing a little bit of their theater. Michael is, like, clearly uncomfortable. And then once he hangs up with James and they're, like, about to get to position, Simon kills the hostage that they have. He's like, well, we don't need this fucker. And Michael is, like, furious. And then they do a fight scene that's only a little bit awkward because it's filmed slightly too slowly. Mm -hmm. And some of the sound effects don't quite work for the, like, <laughs> the hits that are happening. Right. It's a little awkward. Then there's this whole, like, Mountain and Oberyn Martell sequence where Michael is, like, trying to force uh, Simon's eyes out of his head with his thumbs. Yeah. But then Simon staggers back and his eyes look fine. Like, there's not even blood on the edges. Right. I was, like, kind of surprised. It's like, oh, I guess he's just fine. But he was on it. He, like... He, he was in there. He, he was really in there. Chris and I are both, yeah. like, doing the thumb No, thing. we're, like, doing it, you know. <laughs> he was in there. 
Then Simon goes for a knife that he's got hidden in his boot, but Michael turns it around on him and they basically like stand in a, a knife embrace where Michael is like forcing the knife back towards Simon and Simon's like, come on, I'll finish the job. You can be a hero. Don't you like that sappy shit like that? Like, come on, let, let, let's let take this dude down and you can take all the credit. And Michael's like, not like this. And then presses the knife through his chest as Simon kind of just like casually mutters like, no, 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 don't do this. No, 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 no. It's like very muted, which I it thought is. was nice as a final sent off for Simon? It was. Jeffrey Donovan is fully insane. <laughs> like, in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, he is just gone, like, full, like, his eyes are feral. bugging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is feral. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what's happening right now. It's good. Like, the fight scene was not amazing. There was enough going on that they just, it, they're on a TV budget and yeah. on a TV schedule. There's no way they could have coordinated a better one exactly. for as long they're... as this went on. But, like, yeah, it's fine. But, like, the death is good. The death is very good. Yeah. And, like, we we see a shift right away. So when Michael, or when uh, Sonia and James finally make it there, James is, of course, horrified by the carnage and is like, what's happening? Michael is sort of off in the corner doing some solo first and, aid. Yeah, because yeah, he did get cut. Mm-hmm, yeah, he so got, like, he got he hurt has in the a, arm. Yeah, he has a wound which sells it. Mm-hmm. And also looks haunted, which sells yeah. it. And he's like, James, the men were brave. Like, everything was fine. And James is like, you were right. We shouldn't have split up. And Michael, you know, is kind of like subdued. And he looks at James and he's like, you came back, James. And like, such a small, awe-filled voice. And I am not happy with him because I see where he's going. And that's not going to go well for him. It's also extremely hypocritical because does he not know the CIA? <laughs> Yeah, it's... This is their whole fucking shit. Yeah, it's weird. And, like... Again, we'll talk the about fact next... that this is personal to him would play better if we were, like, explicitly reminded how personal it was to him. Exactly. But we're just supposed to infer it after two years and no mention of this. Yeah, dude. it's just like, oh, maybe the CIA is bad. It's like, yeah... The CIA is bad. <laughs> like, I, I think that especially because they're trying to make this so personal to Michael, we've had flashbacks with his dad in it. Like, we've had flashbacks with him meeting Fee for the first time. Like, this is a yeah. Michael Weston interiority season, as you mentioned earlier in the season. Let this be a personal betrayal rather than, like, a holistic, like, our missions are no longer aligned betrayal, which is what they're trying to play it as. Yeah. This it's... works way better as a personal betrayal. Exactly. But they didn't do it that way. Because... I don't know. I guess we can't have nice things. No, we cannot. <laughs> so they, they're kind of like conferring. Then back in Miami, briefly, we see Fee sneaking around Madeline's house. And I realize like, oh, fuck, they don't realize that Michael's cover is still intact. Like, what's going to happen? She's going to blow out a wall and like everything's going to be over. So she she like sets up a, a timed charge on one side of Madeline's house to hit one of the bad guys. And then she goes around the corner so that she can shoot the second bad guy. Madeline's kind of like nervous inside, but she she plays it off like she's got nicotine withdrawals and is like reaching for her last pack of nicotine gum. And the bad guy's like nodding like, oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> and but Madeline's also like weirdly clutching the side of her shirt which was where she hid the knife <laughs> yeah. like oh subtle okay but you know she's an old lady what do they think right back in mexico this is like where we're starting to ramp up like what's gonna resolve first what's gonna like be the thing yeah so back in mexico strong. which is really good it is good they i mean yeah. these two these two guys are good at small details and pacing that's yeah, their and like having a nice conceptual hook to the thing mm-hmm. where it's like no, this is the game that we're playing. Yep. We are playing this game of, like, 
any one of these things can fuck up the other thing. Yep. And like it's a tipping point. Yes. We're on a tipping point, as it were. Uh, but yeah, so Strong Sam and Jesse post up outside the boathouse. Uh, <laughs> I forgot the name of the character. And I thought you just called Sam Strong Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam the Strong. Samwise the Strong. She texts Jesse that she's three minutes from breaching Maddie's house. So we're like officially on the clock. And as they're kind of like posting up and getting ready to come in, Michael like sees them outside and makes a decision and is like, Sonia and James, we shouldn't go the way that we were planning to leave. And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, something feels wrong. We need to go a different direction. And like, he's not fully choosing a side in this moment, but he's also definitely not siding with the CIA. And they managed to escape from the boathouse. Thankfully, once uh, Sam and Strong and Jesse realize that like Michael is gone and they don't know where he went, um, they're like, well, fuck. I guess we have to continue trusting Michael that his cover is intact. It is wild that they go into, because like, the thing, like, Sonia and James and Michael, they leave. Mm-hmm. They, like, I think they strong, swim. Strong and the Strong Boys come in. Mm-hmm. Strong immediately starts going, Michael! Yes! Michael! Thank you for reminding me that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like, Michael Weston, CIA agent, double agent? Michael Weston, are you alive? <laughs> because he's just a big fucking idiot. Uh... It's like, uh, Michael Wesson, uh, are you driving an official CIA car? Because your lights are on. <laughs> uh, and I can't remember which one we leased to you, our CIA freelancer who works for the CIA, as in the federal government of the United States of America. <sighs> yeah, it's bad. But they're like, well, fuck, he's not here. Uh Oh no, that means that we can't let Fee do anything. So thankfully, Jesse gets in touch with Fee right before the charge is set to go off. And so she goes and she disarms it. But in her haste, she like makes a noise. And Madeline is like, like everything's tense there. And we're like, oh no, even though like first we're like, shit, the wall's gonna get blown out and it's too early. We can't do this. But then the bomb gets diffused. But then Fee makes like a noise because she's rushing. And the guys are like, what's that? We should go check outside. And so we're like, oh no, is Fee gonna get caught? Then Madeline like takes the knife out of her shirt and like puts it behind her. And then we're like, oh shit, even if Fee gets away, like, are they gonna find Madeline holding a knife? And it's like this very nice little, like, very efficient scene. It's really good. Where thankfully everything is fine. Um, Madeline spins another story about, like, her neighbor's cat, and, like, everything is diffused, but, like, you know, they're all, like, their hearts are beating real fast. But everything is fine. For now, things are okay. Back in Mexico, James, Michael, and Sonia finally make it to a safe house, but James isn't feeling so hot because only two people were supposed to know where they were today, him and Sonia. And so like, there's a beat where like, before he says Sonia, he's like, I know what happened. Somebody betrayed me. And it was Michael Weston, CAA agent. But no, in fact, because Michael stole the information to get them all here from Sonia's phone. And James implicitly trusts Michael for some fucking reason. No, I immediately knew that he was going to threaten Sonia. I uh, I knew that too. But yeah. like the scene plays out like we're not you know supposed to assume that. You know what's also a little bit weird? I, again, because we never established this. Mm-hmm. Does not the people that they were meeting with also know where the meeting was supposed to be? What meeting? We've forgotten about that. Exactly. It's this weird <laughs> thing of this like... You were meeting with someone, right? 
Right. Were you going to, like, go to a place and then call that? Like, I don't... There's so many... And also, I don't know who knows what. Obviously, like, Sonia and James know about this meeting, but I don't know if Sonia knows the details of the meeting, which influences next week's whole fucking thing about, like, who knows what and who can, like, lead the organization. Oh, well, we'll get to next week next week. But, um, just like your shirt even here doesn't assume it anyway, so yeah. It's very weird. No, like... Because, like, yeah, he was meeting someone, mm-hmm. right? Or was he? Maybe they were lying to just, like, go to an off-site. <laughs> yeah, maybe, like... <laughs> but we never know because they maybe, don't tell us. Maybe they were going to an orgy. <laughs> maybe, or, like, maybe, like, they were going to a special sex room where all three of them were going to have sex because that is, like, the final initiation. <laughs> now you'll know everything. <laughs> exactly. First new piece of information. I'm circumcised. That's my James impression about James being circumcised. Anyways, so uh, James holds. <laughs> Once again, Christina's silently laughing, but I'm very funny and charming, and you should know that even if it's not being picked up on a microphone. So James holds Sonia at gunpoint and is like, you know, I can't believe you betrayed me, and is like about to like torture information out of her, which obviously she doesn't have, when Michael steps in and is like, Sonia didn't betray you. I did. I'm Mr. Burn Notice, the CIA boy. We then... Exact line of dialogue. <laughs> exact line of dialogue. Similar to James's. I'm circumcised. <laughs> I would like... We should get a cameo from Jeffrey Donovan. Saying I'm circumcised. No, I was going to say... No. No, saying like, I am Mr. Burn Notice, the CIA boy. I don't think he's on cameo. I think only Gabrielle Anwar is. Oh. I checked this out a while back. Big mistake, Mr. Donovan. Big mistake, Wicked, wicked Pissa JD. He doesn't need cameo. That's beneath him. There's no way that Bruce Campbell's not on cameo, right? Like, Bruce Campbell's whole shit seems, like, made for cameo. I think the only reason that, like, Bruce Campbell is not on cameo is that that is all he would ever do. He also doesn't need the money. No, he doesn't. Actually, do we know that? His... Bruce Campbell seems like one of those guys that probably always needs the money. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Gabrielle Enmore is here. $250 for uh, personal use. But if we're doing something for our company, it's uh, $1,750. That's a decent amount. Good for her. Yeah. Get that Get that cheddar, Gabrielle Enmore. Anyway, so yeah, we're on their final scene. We're still at the safe house, but like at a slightly different location. So like they've moved locations slightly, I guess, for a final showdown setup that looks nicer. And James and Sonia are like hitting Michael a little bit as he like explains everything and is like, I'm sorry, my I had to do this. My friends were in jail. I had to get my friends out of jail and like it meant taking you down. But and like Sonia's like all, you know, charged up like, I believed you. We had sex with each other. I can't believe this. Like, let's kill him, James. And James is like, hang on. you're the third man I've had sex with. <laughs> I, and James is like, no, I, I saw something in Michael. Like, I know he's a liar, but like, I think he believes in this. Like, why would you? And then James also puts together like, the CIA were outside the boathouse, huh? That's why you had us do a different route. And Michael's like, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And James is like, okay, that's interesting. What, what, do you believe in things? Like, do, do you believe in this? Like, tell me the truth for once in your stupid spy boy life. And Michael's like, I, non, I didn't always agree with your methods, but every mission I've gone on with you needed to be done and no one else was doing it, which I do buy. And yeah. I do like that they've given us that. I wish that those episodes had been better. 
Yeah. Because they were kind of afterthought episodes, even though they are very much like a part of Michael's decision making here, which is the whole fucking point of the season. But we can't quibble now. And he's like, and, and, and. We can't quibby now either. <laughs> There's no more quibby. It's on Roku. All the Quibi shows are on Roku. So we could kind of like... So we could Roku now. We could Roku now with Quibbies. But James is like, Michael, like, are you loyal to the CIA? And Michael's like, I lost everything. I wasted my life for nothing. Like, these people worked with a man who's blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, they use Simon. I hate the CIA. Sonia moves to kill Michael. Michael, like, wholeheartedly accepts. Like, Michael's, like, begging for death. He's like, I'm so sorry, James. Please kill me. But know that, like, you know, whatever. And so he closes his eyes, but James is like, no, I'm not satisfied yet. I, I think that he's, he's on our side. And I have finally flipped Michael Weston. It's a and... little bit of a fixer-upper, but we can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like a man I can fix. I really wanted us to have this three-way. <laughs> uh, and that's the end of the episode. Right. So uh, maybe the free, three-way happens off screen. Maybe it does. But yeah, that's, that's the episode. I thought it was an effective final scene. It is. With some detail work issues. All right, so let's move on to spy tips. So there are only five that I thought was even remotely close uh-huh. to being useful. So let's see. Let's see what we got here. It's on thin ice. Because a lot of the stuff that they were doing was spy-like, but didn't have a voiceover associated with it. Yeah. And a lot of the voiceover was like really long-winded, like narration stuff about like Michael narrating his mental breakdown. Exactly. And, and all That's, that kind of stuff. That is what the show is doing now. Right. Like... Yeah, like it's, it's now a almost, voiceover show, not a spy tip show. Exactly, and it's almost unfair to like judge the episode on this criteria. Almost. But also, fuck them. We're gonna do it. <laughs> this is what we do on this show. There are ways that you could have been doing this the whole time. Like it's 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 not. They are not separate things. Yeah. So whatever. Number one, when you're undercover and running from your own capture team, you have to make it look like you're trying to escape. But at the same time, you have to create a trail for your friends to find. Cell phones can be tracked, which means if you keep one close by, it gives your team a shot at finding you. So this is just like, if you're gonna, you know, you gotta sell it. Like, I don't know if I would have thought that. Like if I was stealing someone's car to escape, but I did need somebody to be able to follow me, I wouldn't have necessarily thought like, hey, give me your phone. I mean, yeah, I would say like, Obviously, we've tracked phones before. Right. This is, like, specific to the specific situation. Like, like if you're stealing a a phone. Like, not, like... But not just steal a phone, but, like, if you're taking someone's car, if you're, like, dragging them out of the car, like, no, give me the car, you can also say, give me the phone. Right. You didn't know that was allowed when you did that crime. (laughs) I I don't think I would have thought of it, but, like, it's not just that you're stealing a phone. You're stealing the phone of the driver. So as soon as the driver reports their car missing and says, like, oh, and they took my phone, too, they know whose phone it is. They can get the number and, like, it's all connected. I'll give you that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can say, yeah. The tip didn't exactly say that, but the tip was prompting the thing we see on screen. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. Which I thought was clever. All right, number two, with little government oversight in a booming private sector, Mexico has one of the most unregulated airspaces in Latin America. Bad news for safety and air pollution, but good news if you need to conduct a manhunt without the local authorities finding out. This is one of those tips that, like, sounds a little racist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't know enough about this to say, like, that's not true. Yeah, I mean, if, if true, then using an, a helicopter in Mexico would not be too hard to do. Exactly. I guess. Okay, fair enough. So next helicopter tip, number three, there's a reason helicopters are the search vehicles of choice for every law enforcement agency in the world. When you can travel 150 miles an hour on any axis with 60 miles of visibility, there's virtually nowhere for your target to hide. The downside of using a helicopter is when you're surrounded by nothing but sky, there's nowhere for you to hide either. 
No, exactly. But you can force uh, Robert De Niro to pull over and get some coffee. <laughs> I just thought like the details about like, like, I don't know anything about fucking helicopters. 150 miles an hour. That's useful. Any access. 60 miles of visibility. Useful. I mean, like it, the whole time I was watching them chase them with the helicopter, I was thinking about the fact that like, it's, it's so, so obvious. obvious. And then they do mention it, which I appreciated. No, but it was also kind of like the fact that the tip justified like, yeah, we know it's obvious, but this is what we get from it. Right. That, like, made me be okay with it. So actually, yeah, I'll take this tip. Cool, me too. Number four, since the Vietnam War, helicopters have given technologically superior forces a huge advantage on the battlefield. In almost every situation, your target's only move is to run and hide. But yeah. as everyone from the Viet Cong to the Mujahideen has learned, a helicopter's main defense is its maneuverability. And if they can force you into hovering over a tight space, like a valley between two mountains or an alley between two buildings, they can make you an easy target. So this is the tip on alternate. This is the tip that Sonia and James were using. Exactly. No, yeah, I'll take that too. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Number five, when you're trying to save someone from an enemy with superior numbers, the challenge is being in two places at the same time. A well-placed directional charge will take out windows, walls, and anyone standing near them. Timed precisely, it can give you the chance to attack both sides of a structure at once. I... So when I heard this tip, at first I thought that she was using two bombs. Mm -hmm. But no, it's like she can't shoot them both at once. So she's using the bomb to take out one and her timed with the bomb to take out the second one so that she can. Because I remember. She's outnumbered, but she can set it up so she's not. See, when I, when the scene happened, I thought like, oh, she only had time to do one bomb. Oh. (laughs) I actually had that part of it. I was like, yeah, no, this is fine. I'll take it. All right. So that's five. That's five. Five out of five. There are five practical spy tips. Did we use spycraft over violence? Uh, did we? Yeah. We had had the little conversation in the kitchen. We had Michael outspying people. We had, you know, there was definitely violence, but the problems were solved through spycraft. Right. And through betraying your country. Exactly. You know, what's more spy-like than that? Right, of course. No alias, I don't think. Yeah. No, we talked about the fact that they had names, but they never actually use them. them, Yeah. Exactly. I want to know what they were going to do. I know, me too. I am so interested in what they were going to do and we're fully not ever gonna find out never ever definitely not spoiler alert it does not matter apparently okay so this is the this is the decider for if this is a great episode of burn notice are at least two supporting characters used well does fee get to blow something up or get to be co-protagonist she has to stop something from blowing up she does she is using explosives knowledge to almost do a thing and then does not does that count i don't know if it does yeah i don't think so either no i think like part of it is the violence all right, fair enough. Does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? Not really. Not really. He doesn't really, like, the only thing he really does in this scene is be, or this this episode is be sort of smug at Strong and then get very mad at Strong. <laughs> so Sam, nothing. No. He's not doing much. And I would not consider Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy either. He's just, like, along for the ride. Right. Um, uh, Madeline gets to be part of the case of the week. She but does. And she does get an emotional moment with another character, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, but that's not enough. No, it's not enough. So even though yeah. Madeline does does have her thing, ugh, they're just one character shy uh-huh. of uh, of this tip. So unfortunately, <laughs> this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. Would we argue that it's a great episode of television? I don't think I would. I don't, I don't think, think I would. you would either. It's just because they didn't, they chose to go broad rather than personal with yeah. the central conflict. Exactly. The, the actual episode, it was fun. It was tense. It was well written. Like we know what these guys are capable of and they sold us on that. The problem is like the actual episode they were doing didn't fully connect with the emotional core that it needed to. Yeah. I don't think they quite, yeah, they didn't sell the Simon thing being the thing mm-hmm. enough 
And so it doesn't quite work. Yeah. If they had sold it, mm-hmm. the thing is, like, this is the episode where Michael turns. Yep. And they don't quite sell it. Mm-mm. Like, I will say, I don't think they've ever quite sold it. No. Like, I... The thing is, they've talked about it enough that when it happens, I'm not thrown. Right. But it's also kind of like, I don't know if I've ever bought it. Yeah, you, like, intellectually understand it, but you don't emotionally buy it. No, yeah, I don't, like... Yeah, I'm not with him on it in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's too bad, because, like, you know, this is our send-off for our two, I would argue, favorite writers of Burn Notice. Right. So it's too bad. But, um, yeah, this is simply an episode of television. A very good one. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not overly disappointed. I, I, I still really respect these writers. And you can right. see the stuff that makes us love them in this episode. And they have to do a hard thing. Yeah. You know, like. And, and they're constrained by the way that their showrunner approaches emotional arcs. Yeah. So, you know, how, who is to blame for the messiness? Eh, it's up there. Although I know who I'd blame. Anything else from you? No, it's fine. It's, it was yeah. solid. Yeah, I liked it. Garrett Dillahunt was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it didn't quite work for me, but you know. Everyone's doing a good job. It just like wasn't quite there. Right. We needed a little more context, a little more reminders, a little clearer through line for where everyone's at. Yeah, no, but yeah. it works. Yeah, it works. Uh, and what more than works is our theme music, which was composed by Vince and E.L. If you want more of Vince's music, try vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, our penultimate episode of Burn Common Notice. <laughs> Bye! It's the movie where Al Pacino says the, fr- the words, Great ass! <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard that. It's our, great. Our frames of reference are very different. <laughs> <laughs>